Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. David, I just want to pray for you uh, as you bring uh, your message uh, for us this morning. So, Father, thank you for David. Thank you for his love for you and his ability and gift to explain your gospel and message to us. And I pray, O oh God, that you'll be with him this morning and fill him with your Holy Spirit and speak to us through what he has to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Ian. Thanks so much. Um, let me just echo what um, both Stephanie and Ruth and also Ian were saying about um, it's a new year and it's a lot of new opportunity, um, especially to serve. We know here... Uh, especially as leaders, that ch- the talk is cheap, and a lot of the time, you know, we're we're guilty of of committing that too, you know, and we we really are trying to lean into uh, the kingdom come concretely and showing up, and that looks like the long table project, and that looks like the stay and play toddler group, and it looks like farm box, which Ian, who was hosting, and Libby, his wife, and the team. Lead. Those are the kind of three of the ways that we're attempting to be faithful to the gospel, the good news, and concretely and not just. So all that being said, you don't need me to plug it again, but really do consider whether this year it might be a time to get involved in one of those projects. Uh, it doesn't have to be forever. You could even commit for a short time, but really, really brilliant things happening there. Um, great. We're starting this new year um, with a new series called Liberated by love, encounters with Jesus in the Gospels. And so it, it's probably quite strange to start the new year by going back to the Advent story, but we're going to do that this morning. It's also maybe quite strange, given that the title is called Encounters with Jesus, that our story today is located before Jesus was actually born. But I think it's the perfect way to start the year, the perfect place to begin. The story of the kingdom of God The revolution of God, the liberation of God begins with two women. And I'm also very aware, just by caveat, that I'm not a woman. So I'm speaking to the experience of two women as born witness in the the Gospels. Um, But that's obviously a point in reference. Um, But the story of the kingdom of God breaks into this world in first century Palestine through two women. The first look tells us is Elizabeth, the wife of a humble priest named Zechariah, living in rural Judea. There's maybe a photograph coming up. I'll maybe milk this to death of the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of the area in which both of these women would have come from. In the scriptures, Elizabeth is described uh, as blameless and righteous. In fact, both of them are blameless and righteous in God's eyes. And they've been faithfully praying for a family. For years, Elizabeth has endured the hard reality of infertility. And she describes that in Luke chapter one as a disgrace among the peoples. Luke tells us also about the second woman, Mary, a young, poor, teenage Jewish woman living close by this region in the small, irrelevant town of Galilee. 
in the town of Nazareth under Roman occupation, Mary or Miriam was betrothed to a man named Joseph. And these two women, they were actually related as we know, if you know the story, both fall miraculously pregnant at around the same time, within months of each other. And that is the location for when the kingdom of God breaks in. The liberation of God breaks in. Two women in a backwater region of the Roman Empire. Two miracles of pregnancy. A woman who's almost too old to have a child. And a woman who's almost too young to have a child. A woman who's been married for many, many years. And a woman who's not yet been married for even one day. Elizabeth and Mary, whose lives we seem to meet at opposite ends of life's journey, both falling pregnant and pregnant with expectation. The expectant mothers of John, who's John the Baptist and Jesus. And this is the unlikely place where the divine, where God chooses to inaugurate his new liberation, his new revolution. His kingdom. Women in ancient society, in late antiquity particularly, were rarely, if ever, the center of any story. And yet, the gospel story, the God story, locates itself and frames and centers on the story of these two women. I'd love us to read the passage together in Luke chapter 1. Bear with me, I'm going to read Uh, all of it, if that's okay. We're going to like immerse ourselves in this story this morning. Luke chapter one, starting verse five, actually. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was in duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all of the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to them, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he seemed startled and was gripped by fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or any other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well beyond well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been able to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent 
and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had had a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but was remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. The birth of Jesus foretold in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at this, these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary said, asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Here ends the reading. It's a fascinating <clears throat> turn of events in this backwater region of Judea, Galilee, under the Roman Empire. I think there's another photo, actually, Noah, of a church. I think I've shown this before. This is the church where Apparently, the angel did visit Mary, um, the Annunciation, to announce this to Mary in the story we just read. Um, this is in Nazareth, and I took this in November when I was there. Um, real people in a real place at a real time with real hopes and fears and dreams. You see, the thing that linked these two women was not just that they were related to one another, but they shared a dream. They shared a dream, and it was the ancient dream of Israel, the dream that one day all the things that the prophets had said would come true. All the things that the prophets had prophesied would come true. That was their dream. Tom Wright, the scholar, describes it for us, that one day Israel's God would do what he had said to their ancient ancestors, that all the nations would be blessed through Abraham's family. But for that to happen, the powers that kept the world in slavery had to be toppled. Nobody would normally thank God for blessing if they were poor or hungry or enslaved or miserable. God would have to show up. God would have to win a victory over the bullies, the power brokers, the forces of evil, which people like Mary and Elizabeth <clears throat> knew too well. Living as they did in the dark days of Herod the Great, who whose casual brutality was backed up with the threats of Rome. Mary and Elizabeth, like so many Jews of their time, searched the scriptures, soaked themselves in the Psalms and the prophetic writings, 
which spoke of mercy and hope and fulfillment and reversal and revolution and victory over evil and of God coming to the rescue. True liberation, the coming of the kingdom of God. And all of this that we're talking about this morning is the scene setting for what will happen. And we're not going to go there today, but you know that John the Baptist and Jesus obviously grow up and they become agents of this revolution. Uh, John making a way and Jesus the Messiah coming. This God promised revolution to overthrow the powers of evil. Mary and Elizabeth are the ones who find themselves caught up in this story. This is the story of the God of dreams. The God of dreams. This is the God that Elizabeth and Mary knew. The God of revolution. The God of a kingdom to come. A new way of ordering the world. Of shalom. Of that which is broken to be mended. Of those that are in power to be toppled. And this is the story that they were living under. And they find themselves caught up in that story. But it's not only the story of the God of dreams, but it's the story of the God of grace. In Elizabeth, we see God honoring her. We see God turning her experience of disgrace into grace, despair into jubilation. She becomes mother to John the Baptist. He's the one who will announce the dream. He's the one that will go before Jesus. He's the one that will announce the kingdom of God is near. And here is Elizabeth, honored by the Lord. Her disgrace turned to grace. Her seeming experience of disgrace turned to jubilation. as she becomes pregnant. And with Mary, we have the teenage girl who becomes the mother of God. The term given to Mary is Theodicus, which means the God-bearer. And we see the incarnation of God in Christ comes through the God-bearing virgin Mary. What an incredible confession of our faith and a mystery to reflect upon that this teenage girl became the mother of God. In fact, the angel comes to Mary, greetings to you who are highly favored. You will conceive and you will have a son and you will call his name Jesus. To this great divine intervention, this great interruption, this great invitation, Mary responds to this grace with these amazing words in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Here we have Mary's consent and her full participation in becoming the mother of God, the bearer of Jesus, who will be the new king in this dreamed of kingdom. We have the God of grace coming to both Elizabeth and coming to, to Mary in these very similar and distinct ways. And we see that God's grace, God's ways of acting, God's ways of being in the world happen not in the centers of power, but in the story of two faithful women who give their yes to God, who have open hearts. Later we see in Luke 1, a, a uniting of these two women, Mary and Elizabeth, come together. And you can imagine the scene when they come together to share the news. 
Let me read the verses here. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she proclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is this child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the joy the sound of your greeting reached my ears. The baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. In this scene, there could have been resentment from Elizabeth on receiving such news. Perhaps that was maybe what Mary was anticipating. Or perhaps there would have been pride on Mary's part for telling the news. But here you have these two women in an irre irrelevant place on the edge of the empire who are caught up right in the middle of this ground-shaking revolution. And they are ecstatic for one another. The joy of the anticipation and the expectation. They're ecstatic for one another because the dream is real. The dream is alive. And it's not only real for Israel, but it's real for these two women. Because in their lives of these two women, as I've already said, is the power of grace. The power of grace that comes and works in their lives. These women who'd set their hearts toward God. Elizabeth living a faithful life despite the hardship of, of her circumstances and the disappointment of her life. Mary faced with the prospect of being the mother of God uh, despite being unmarried and the shame and the stigma around that. And yet both of them experienced the sheer grace of God to use them, to draw them both into this amazing story. The whole thing is summed up in a famous hymn called the Magnificat which Mary sings. And that hymn, I'm not going to read it today, but it is a hymn of gratitude and triumph. It's a hymn of gratitude toward the God of grace who has come into their lives to use them, meager and weak and irrelevant, it seems, on the surface that they are, and triumphant in the sense that the dream of Israel is alive, that the Messiah is coming. And part of that song is based on a song from the Old Testament. It's called Hannah's Song, the mother of Samuel. And there's a part of it that goes like this, that God, he raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He makes them sit with princes. And when we compare the song of Hannah to the song of Mary, we just see a song of revolution and a song of grace. I'm reminded that grace flows downhill. That, flee, that grace does not flow up to the vestiges of power and the centers of power, but it flows downhill to the poor, to those li whose lives look like ash heaps, to those who feel like their lives are in brokenness, in pain, in disappointment, in irrelevance, the grace of God flows downhill to the most unlikely of places, not to the rich and powerful, but to two willing, open-hearted women who give their yes to God. And through those women, the liberation, the revolution, the kingdom of God comes. Richard Beck says this, that grace is the only thing in the world that is stronger than shame. These radical encounters of Elizabeth with the angel, 
God's work in her life, Mary with the angel and God's work in her life and all the stigma and the context of their stories. And yet these radical encounters completely reshaped their lives. These are the, the rejects, if you will, those on the margins of society. Those are the ones whom God centers. That's where God is located. That's where God moves in grace. That's where the dream of God is alive. God's not interested in the thrones and the powers of, of the world, but he locates himself in two women, women that would have probably not been centered on at all in any story. They are the focus of the story of God. God chooses unlikely people to bring his kingdom. Not the rich, but the poor. Not the proud, but the humble. Not the hard-hearted, but the open-hearted. And fundamentally, we in Redeemer, we really believe that God actually does choose sides. Bear with me. That God is with the poor. God is with the oppressed. That God is with the marginalized. That God is on the edges of power, not at the center of it. That God works in the most unlikely of people, in the most unlikely of places, in the most unlikely of lives, lives that might look like an, a heap of ash, a place of brokenness, a place of, it smells a bit like death. That is where new life is born, when there is a willing and open yes to the divine. This is where God works. And suppose it's a simple reflection this morning as we begin 2023 as a community. We want to be a humble community knowing that we can only do what we can do, but through the Spirit of God, through radical encounter, we worship and serve and follow and participate a God who works with unlikely people in unlikely places at unlikely times in unexpected ways to turn the world upside down, to bring his liberation, to bring his kingdom come. So I have two reflections to leave with you as we begin this year. And then I'm going to invite the worship band to come. We're going to come to the table. What is your dream for the kingdom of God? We've heard some things shared even this morning about concretely what the kingdom might look like if we were to lean into grace, if we were to lean into the story of God in this street to serve people, to serve those without a home, to serve those without a warm place. What is the dream that you carry in your heart? What does the kingdom look like that you carry? Maybe that's something that you want to reflect upon. What is your heartfelt prayer? A bit like Elizabeth's prayers over the years. What's the thing you yearn to see happen? Keep leaning into that. Keep dreaming. Keep soaking yourself in the songs and the stories of hope and mercy and reversal and jubilation and, and, and liberation and revolution Keep leaning into that. That's the first question. What is the dream in your heart? What's the thing that you're praying about? What's the thing that yearns and you long for? And here's the second reflection for us, Redeemer, this year. Where's the location of your seeming weakness? Where's that place in your life which looks a little bit like a heap of ash? Not the things that you're really good at and strong at and feel confident about, but where is God at work? What corners of your heart, what, what, what places that are maybe painful, what disappointments, 
what experiences, apparent irrelevance or apparent disgrace or apparently discounting yourself or feeling unqualified. Because that's exactly the place where God wants to show up. It's exactly the place that the Spirit of God wants to anoint and breathe life on. If we can sit with it and invite the Spirit to minister and to activate those dreams in us and to yield to Him. With the Spirit filling us, we can do so much more than we can ever do by ourselves. By the Spirit leading us and empowering us. Just like Mary give her yes to God so we can give our yes. So those are the two questions. What's your dream? What's the prayer in your heart like Elizabeth would pray for all those years? What's that thing? Lean into that. Keep praying for it. Keep, keep hoping. Keep soaking yourself in the, in the stories of the scriptures of revolution and hope and mercy and joy. And where's that location in your life where you just feel like it's, you're shut off and you need, to, you need to yield over to God? You need to give your yes like Mary. You need to open up your heart and let the Lord move and work. That's the place where God shows up. The most unlikely people in the most unlikely places doing the most unlikely things. That is the gospel. I was reading about this this week. The N.T. Wright describes this passage and this news that Elizabeth and particularly Mary receives as like the gospel before the gospel. It's like the gospel but 30 years before Jesus journeys to the cross Paul is all about the cross and resurrection as the, as the center of the gospel, and we absolutely believe that, and we're going to celebrate that at the table. But the God becoming human, the miracle of the incarnation of Christ showing up, God with us, Emmanuel, that's the gospel before the gospel. Elizabeth and Mary got the taste of that before anyone else did. They could see that the, the revolution was coming. And I guess that's the hope for us is that the gospel, it is the gospel that, that, that God uses us in our weakness, the most unlikely people in the most unlikely places, doing the most unlikely things by the power of the Spirit. That is the good news of the gospel, to bring his liberation and his kingdom in the most, to the most needy and the most, the, most, uh, the most needy in our society, the most needy even in our city here. That is how God moves. That is the gospel news. So for 2023, Redeemer, let me just leave those two reflections with you. What is that yearning in your heart? What's that dream? Keep leaning into that. And where is that part of your life that's, it feels like it's the broken part. That's exactly the place that God wants to breathe his grace and to use you to bless others and to bring his kingdom. I'm going to invite Fran and Fra to come up and to lead us in worship. And I'd love to invite you all to stand as we draw our service to a close this morning. I think most of us are here today and certainly that's my testimony because at some point we have had a radical encounter with Jesus and we have been changed. We have experienced the healing of, of God in our lives. We've, exper we've experienced the rivers of God flowing into those desolate and desert places of our lives. And that is the thing that we come to remind ourselves of today at the table, but also to celebrate, 
to celebrate the good news of the God of dreams, the good news of the God of grace. And that is a word for 2023, the God of dreams and the God of grace. So as we worship as Fran and Fra lead us, can I invite you to come to this table, which has the bread, which represents Christ's body, which has the wine and the juice, which, which represents Christ's blood. And let us, let us lean into the hope of the gospel, that God is a God who shows up. He shows up in the most unlikely of people, in the most unlikely of places, even in our lives. Even in the most likely of times when we've been in, at the end of ourselves. Let's come to the table and celebrate that gospel. Celebrate this God, the God of grace, the God of dreams. The God who wants to use us. The God who wants to make us like Christ. The God who wants to send us out to be Christ in the world. That's the invitation at the table. And as a, as a table, as a community, we practice an open table, which means you're all welcome to come. The only qualifier to be at this table, the table of grace, the table of Jesus, is that you want to be there. No one will stop you from coming to this table. No one polices this table. This table has got a guest list, but it's Jesus' guest list, and it's whoever wants to be here can be here. So let me encourage you, and maybe you've not been at the table for many years, maybe even a long, long time, perhaps today, you might come to begin this new year, gathering around this table, taking the bread of grace and the wine, and celebrating that God is for you and loves you and is with you. That's the invitation.